The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. And he will check down, and it is picked off. Josh Jackson, are you kidding me? He can do no wrong in the last seven days. His second pick six of the day after three picks last week. Seven interceptions now on the season. Two pick sixes in one game. Incredible span midseason for Jackson here. 14 yards of total offense for the Hawkeyes, but it doesn't matter when you have number 15. He's kept them in the football game. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Steve Batterson, who looks back at the Hawks' loss at Wisconsin and previews this week's Iowa-Purdue game. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Purdue's Jeff Brown. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include sports reporter Scott Docterman of LandOf10.com and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Chumeland and Jack Bransgard. Game highlights are courtesy of ABC with announcers Joe Tessitore and Todd Blackledge. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeye's mic programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. Iowa returns to Kinnick Stadium for the last time this season. Hard to believe it's already the case. Hosting Big Ten West opponent Purdue. It's also senior day in Iowa City. The Hawkeyes are 6-4 and 3-4 and and in the Big Ten. The Boilermakers are 4-6 and six overall and 2-5 and five in conference play. And they've lost four of their last five games. Those losses, however, have only been by an average of 5.3 points. And Wisconsin, which dominated Iowa last week, barely squeaked by Purdue 17-9 in Madison on October 14th. Purdue is 0-3 in Big Ten road games this year. The Hawkeyes have defeated Wyoming, Iowa State, North Texas, Illinois, Minnesota, and Ohio State, while losing to Penn State, Michigan State, Northwestern, and Wisconsin. Three of Iowa's losses, other than at Wisconsin, have come by one possession each, and two of those came down to the last play of the game. Purdue's four wins came against Ohio, Missouri, Minnesota, and Illinois. It's losses were to Louisville, Michigan, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Nebraska, and Northwestern. Iowa won last year's game at Purdue 49-35, but the Boilermakers lead the overall series 46-38-3. The Hawkeyes have won four straight, nine of the last 11, and 21 of the last 28 games played between the two teams. Iowa is 21-19-2 in games played against Purdue in Iowa City. Kirk Ferentz is in his 19th season as Iowa head coach with a record of 141 and 96 at Iowa, and he's still just two wins shy of tying Hayden Fry as Iowa's all-time winningest head football coach. Both Ferentz and Fry rank in the top seven in the Big Ten, both in terms of overall wins and conference victories. Ferentz is also currently the dean of college football coaches. Jeff Brom is in his first season at Purdue, bringing hope to Boilers Nation after his highly successful run at Western Kentucky. His record at Purdue is 4-6. and six. His overall record in four years as a head coach, 34-16. and 16. In game notes this week, 18 seniors will be playing their last game at Kinnick Stadium. Both stars and guys who've contributed in ways other than seeing much playing time and they will be recognized as usual in the traditional pre-game ceremony. Nathan Budgeta, Ike Betker, Bo Bauer, James Butler, Daniel Gaffey, Jake Hewlett, Josie Jewell, Tyler Kluver, Drake Kulik, Boone Myers, Ben Neiman, Peter Picard, Miles Taylor, Matt Vandenberg, Akram Wadley, Kevin Ward, Sean Welsh, and John Wisniewski. Per Iowa Athletic Communications, since the start of the 2014 season, the Hawkeyes, with this group of seniors, have won 33 games and qualified for a bowl game every year. The senior class has an overall record of 33-17, and 17, including a 20-7 and 7 mark at Kinnick Stadium and a 21-11 and 11 record in Big Ten games. The 21 21- 
conference wins are the fourth most by any senior class under Ferentz. The 2005 senior class won 25 Big Ten games, 2004, 24, and the 2016 class won 23. While Kirk and Brian Ferentz stress the goal of having a balanced offense, passing and rushing, one offensive stat stands out for the Hawkeyes. Since the start of the 2015 season, Iowa is 26-1 and when rushing for 100 yards or more, but... and 10 when it is under 100 yards on the ground. Purdue is giving up an average of 139.4 rushing yards per game. Plus, it's also the last home game for Iowa running backs senior Akram Wadley and graduate transfer James Butler. Expect them to put forth maybe just a little extra effort in their last game at Kinnick Stadium. Purdue's defense has seen major improvement this season compared to the past few years. It is also varied, sometimes running a 3-4 scheme, other times a more traditional 4-3, and it blitzes from both. The Boilermakers are fourth in the Big Ten in scoring defense, surrendering just 19.3 points per game. That's actually one spot ahead of the Hawkeyes' defense, which is giving up just 20. Last year, Purdue's opponents scored an average of 38.3 points per game. Additionally, as I mentioned earlier, the Boilers are allowing only 139.4 yards rushing per game, 3.7 yards per carry, and they They've given up just nine rushing touchdowns versus last season when they gave up an average of 238.4 rushing yards on 5.25 yards per carry and 35 rushing touchdowns. That's a stunning turnaround in Brom's first season in West Lafayette. Purdue has held its last three opponents under 100 yards rushing. And as I mentioned a moment ago, Iowa's record when rushing less than 100 yards, 0 and 10 since 2015. The Boilers are forcing three and outs, one third of the time on their opponent's drives. In its four road games, Purdue has allowed just 14.3 points per game, including a meager 16 total points in second halves. They've allowed only six touchdowns. Three of those came in the first quarter. They've only given up three points in the fourth quarter of games. However, it's important to note that has been the strongest scoring quarter for Iowa's offense. They've outscored their opponents in the fourth period, 93-54. to And the Boilermakers have six takeaways, three picks and three fumble recoveries in these four road games. The Hawkeyes have tied a single season school record with four pick sixes, 89 yards by Brandon Snyder against Illinois, 30 yards by Imani Hooker on the opening offensive play of the game against Ohio State, and two by Joshua Jackson at Wisconsin, one 43 yards, the other 52 yards. The three previous seasons this occurred were 1995, 2010, and 2015. The Iowa-Purdue game will be televised by BTN with announcers Kevin Kugler, Matt Millen, and Lisa Byington. It will be broadcast as usual on the Hawkeye Radio Network with announcers Gary Dolphin, Ed Podolak, and Rob Brooks. And it will also be available on satellite radio, XM Channel 196, and Sirius Channel 135. Depth chart updates. Iowa's depth chart is largely unchanged from what it was for Wisconsin. Strong safety Imani Hooker hasn't practiced since the Ohio State game. Ferentz indicated Tuesday that it's highly unlikely he will play this weekend. That leaves former starter Miles Taylor as his replacement. Punter is still listed as an or between Ryan Gersandi and Colton Rastetter. Rastetter handled all of the punting duties in Madison last Saturday. Purdue's biggest loss is probably its starting quarterback David Blau. However, Blau's backup sophomore Elijah Sindelar has seen considerable playing time throughout this season. He started last Saturday at Northwestern. He completed 37 of 60 passes for 376 yards, two TDs, and one INT. Before his injury, Blau was fourth in the Big Ten and 17th nationally with a 65% completion percentage. Sindelar's backup this Saturday is also the Boilers' wide receiver, Jared Sparks. He's a threat out of the Wildcat formation and was the main receiving target against Northwestern, catching 11 passes for 130 yards. Additional game notes from Iowa Athletic Communications, junior defensive back Josh Jackson leads the country in interceptions with seven, interception return yards with 163, and passes defended at 23. He ranks third in passes broken up with 16. He has five picks in the last two weeks, returning two of them for touchdowns, and is one interception from tying Iowa's single season record, which Desmond King, Lou King, and Niall Kinnick share. He has earned Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week the last two weeks.
Linebacker Josie Jewell, playing his last game in Kinnick this Saturday, leads the Big Ten and ranks fourth in the nation with 11.6 tackles per game. He has 104 total tackles this season. Tops in the Big Ten, tied for fifth nationally. He needs just 11 more stops to tie Chad Greenway for fifth all-time and become the third Hawkeye in program history to have three seasons with at least 115 tackles. The other two, Larry Station and Abdul Hodge. Three key questions for this week's game for the Hawkeyes. One, which version of Iowa's offense will show up at Kinnick on Saturday? The one that trounced Ohio State or the one that was skunked at Wisconsin? And watch whether the Hawkeyes hit 100 yards or more rushing. Two, can Iowa's young offensive line, particularly the tackles, bounce back after the Wisconsin debacle and keep quarterback Nate Stanley clean, especially given Purdue's mixed fronts on defense and their blitzing? And three, how much will the weather be a factor? It's expected to be in the low 40s and very windy, which can particularly stress the passing and kicking games of both teams. In Big Ten notes, Wisconsin clinched a berth in the Big Ten championship game last Saturday, plus a share of the West Division title with its win over Iowa. The Badgers can win the division outright by beating Michigan this Saturday or by a Northwestern loss to Minnesota. The East Division is led by Ohio State with its 6-1 record. Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State are all one game behind at 5-2 in conference play. If the Buckeyes defeat Illinois this Saturday and Wisconsin beats Michigan, Ohio State will lock up the East Division berth in the championship game. Wisconsin's 10-0 start this season is a school record, and it now is just one of five FBS teams that remain undefeated. Yet, as of this week, it sits outside the four teams ranked for the playoffs. Northwestern has won five straight Big Ten games for the first time since 1995-96, when it won 13 straight over those two seasons. And Iowa's Josh Jackson tied a Big Ten record with his two pick sixes at Wisconsin. He's just the third player in conference history to accomplish that feat. One of the other two, former Hawkeye B.J. Lowry, did it in 2013 against Western Michigan. Key results from last week included Iowa's 38-14 drubbing at the hands of Wisconsin. Ohio State just obliterated Michigan State 48-3, an ice bounce back from its loss at Iowa. Minnesota smashed hapless Nebraska 54-21, and Northwestern held off Purdue 23-13. This week, some key games in addition to Iowa hosting Purdue, Michigan at Wisconsin, Minnesota at Northwestern, and Nebraska at Penn State. The Cornhuskers need to defeat the Nittany Lions and Iowa to even become bowl eligible, which right now appears highly unlikely. And if they lose both of those games, they will finish the season with four straight losses. When I die, it'll be here or on top of a wild woman. I hope it's here, but I'll go either way. that knocked the ball out in the other corner got the football forces a fumble there had the pick six earlier and of course the three interceptions last week in the beat down of the Buckeyes Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz, who talks about his 18 seniors who are playing their final game at Kinnick Stadium. First thing to mention is it's senior day, and that's always a really special special thing for everybody involved. And we've got a great senior class. These guys have been outstanding to work with for over the period of four or five years, with the exception of a guy like James Butler, who is a great addition for our, our football team this year. And it's uh, certainly an emotional day for the players and their families and uh, everybody involved. So it's a it's always very, very special. Uh, it's always great for the, the fans to turn out and show their appreciation, and we, we certainly appreciate that support for these guys and all that they've done for the university, not just uh, the football team, but the entire university during, during their time. And you know, you think about the seniors. You know, every year you got a lot of guys that are very well known, played a lot of football, veteran players that have added a lot, and really, uh, you know, the fans are pretty familiar with. And you have other guys that that, uh, that are stories that aren't as known. A guy like Dan Gaffey, who really uh, hasn't hit the field in a meaningful snap. Jake Hewlett has 
hasn't played an awful lot, but those guys have been in the program. Worked every bit as hard as everybody else, and they do a great job day in and day out. And think about a guy like Gaffey, who just uh, works so hard on the scout team and just uh, not only gives our offense a good look, but he also helps uh, provide leadership with those guys. So, you know, everybody on the team has a valuable role. And, uh, you know, certainly I think those guys are illustrative of that. And then the other, other story I think you have to look at, you think about guys that are injured and walked out to the field today right behind Ike and Boone. And uh, you think about two fifth-year seniors that have played a lot of good, really good football here, quality football, and been great leaders and great team members. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they haven't been able to play over the last several weeks and won't play uh, this this week, obviously. So, you know, again, every class has a lot of stories. There's a story with every player, and uh, those are those are the things that uh, you know, are just really tough for everybody. And, uh, you know, I just uh, say it every year, but we have, speaking on behalf of our entire staff, just nothing but great admiration for any player that goes through the program, graduates from the university, and, and does a great job uh, representing our program in the athletic department. So, you know, our, uh, our hats are off to them, and it'll be great to honor them on Saturday. Ferentz on Purdue's greatly improved defense this season. To me, that is the biggest story uh, when you look at them and look at the uh, the improvement that they've made. And and they do catch your eye offensively. They move the ball really well. They're wide open, very creative. And, uh, you know, you, you got to defend a million things when you play against these guys based on what we've seen. Uh, and I'm sure there's more to come. with That's 10 weeks exposure. Uh, but, yeah, to me, the real story is their defensive improvement because they haven't been good enough on defense to, to win consistently. And they're, they're playing really at a high level right now. But most important stat is, to, you know, points given up. And they, they're not giving up a lot. So they're doing really well there. Uh, their rush defense is much, much better, much improved. And, and I think uh, the biggest thing is uh, it's, their whole team is multiple. You look at them offensively, defensively, and special teams-wise, you have to prepare for a lot of things. They're very diverse. Uh, you're not quite sure what you're going to get your week, but th- they're very, very diverse that way. But the thing I'm impressed with is just the tempo they play with, the aggressiveness, and uh, they're a fundamentally sound team defensively. So to, to, to not give up points, you have to be, and they're really – it's very impressive. And they're playing hard every, every week, and uh, it's start to finish, and that, that's what it takes to win. That's what it takes to be successful. And, you know, they've come up short a couple times, you know, two points, one point to, to start there. Uh, but the Wisconsin game, I mean, it's up until Wisconsin's last possession. It was anybody's game to win there. Uh, and they're very opportunistic in that game, coming up with turnovers, takeaways, for you know, in their case. You know, but that, that's the biggest thing is they're just they're playing with a real aggressive attitude, and you can tell they believe in each other, and that's that's a big part of being successful too. Ferentz on senior linebacker Josie Jewell's play and leadership. The, the one fact I, I can give you that uh, to me says it all, he will be our third or first three-time captain. And we've never had that. So, you know, and it's not like he campaigned for it. That's just, that was Josie being Josie. There's nothing uh, about him that's, you know, rah-rah or look at me, that type of stuff. But it's just, it just goes back to when he came here as a freshman and was was uh, getting beat up on the scout team uh, by Van Sloat. And just the way he operated, there's a seriousness to him, a focus and a, and a hardness. That, that really helps guys become a better better football player. And it was there for him. I mean, you could see it in him, but he certainly learned how to play the position. Uh, it's, it's pretty intricate what he does. But the fact that he he got voted as a captain as a sophomore, I think, speaks volumes. And that's that's everybody in the team voting. So it's just, uh, and nothing's really changed. I mean, he's just kind of accelerated every, with every opportunity. So yeah, I, you can't put it into words. He's just, a, he's a really good football player and, and a guy that, you know, gives everything he's got to the, the team. And Ferentz on the inconsistent of his offense on offense especially little, little things kill you. you know, I mean mistakes kill you it's it's hard to uh, you know unless you're good enough just to throw it up and somebody run down there and catch the ball you know 70 yards down the field but um, uh, or a guy that can just hit a run you know nobody blocks and boom I'm, I'm going back to whatever it was 1976 sitting in three River stadium Dorsett hit one for about 80 yards or 90 yards on the first play of the second half against Penn State and game was over I mean that was it and that's about all they got but that's all they needed uh, but I mean you know he's a Hall of Fame player too so, you know, so it's, it's a matter of trying to sustain drives, put things together, move. You know, everybody's got to be working together. And, you know, when you do that with cohesion and, and um, good execution, clean football, however you want to put it, you give yourselves a chance. Uh, when you get five-yard penalties or penalties, those set you back, false starts, you know, what have you, missed assignments, all those things really disrupt things. And so, you know, offense is a little bit more intricate. And, um, you know, a guy can blow something on defense, and if he's not at the point of attack, nobody may ever know. Pretty much everybody on offense, you know, impacts each other. So that, that's a challenge, yeah. And, um, you know, we've shown that we're capable. And now, the, the, you know, I think the big challenge is can we show consistency?
Next, we hear from Purdue head coach Jeff Brom, who was asked what kind of improvement he's looking for from his team in this season's last two games. I think that um, defensively all year we've been a sound football team that uh, does a great job against the run. We load the box. Our guys play hard. We have some good football players with a lot of experience. They're continuing to play hard. Uh, just, you know, we're getting exposed a little bit uh, in, in the passing game and in the secondary, but I think we can work hard to improve that. Uh, on offense, it, it's, it's been a struggle to find ways to, to move the ball and, and get points. I do think our guys are playing hard. I do think our runners are running hard. I think our linemen are giving us as, as good as effort as they can. we got to continue to improve there, but they're, they're playing hard. It's just we're, we're not able to be as consistent as we like. Um, you know, I think our receivers finally have you know, they made some strides this past game and made some plays for us. They've worked extremely hard the last three weeks under duress and some circumstances where they had not made the catches that we would like. And we practiced them hard. We focused. We've uh, done as many things as we can to improve uh, catching the football. I do think there was improvement, even though we had some drops towards the end. So, you know, I think I think improvement is being made, but we have a, a ways to go. And uh, we've got to be consistent and we've you know, while I do, you know, I told our team after the game, I, I do think we played hard, but I, I did not think we were the tougher team, and I did not think we were the smarter team in this game, and that doesn't mean that we didn't try. I just didn't think we won that battle, so we just got to continue to fight our way through it. Uh, it's no fun to, to lose uh, games. It's it's uh, doesn't give you a warm feeling. It doesn't uh, make you feel great, but that's that's what's supposed to happen, so I think as long as we try to respond in the right way as coaches and players and uh, not lose confidence, but understand, hey, this is where the work needs to be done, and we've got to find a way to do it. Uh, hopefully improvement will, will be made. Uh, I think that uh, special teams, we've, we've gotten better. Are there a few weak elements we have? Yes, there are. But uh, I think we've found ways to, to get better in that uh, aspect. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of improvement to be made. There's a lot of uh, things we all need to do better. Uh, but I do think our guys want to improve and want to win, and it means something to them. Rome on the importance of establishing momentum in the last two games. We're still kind of focused exactly on uh, you know making this season as good as we can, and 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 we've got a great opportunity uh, with this this upcoming weekend. And uh, while I understand it's a tough football game against a good team, we've got to do everything in our power to come out swinging and try to find a way to win. And uh, if we completely focus on that and come out aggressive, come out uh, with energy, uh, trying to really everybody be into it and do everything everything right, uh, you never know what can happen. And, uh, you know, these type of games are not easy, but uh, if you come ready to play, in my opinion, uh, anything can happen. So we've got to, we've got to try to win this game. And, um, you know, I think our guys will practice hard. I think they'll enjoy coming to work. We'll try to create an environment where they're enjoying working hard, but we've got a lot of things to, to get done and we've got to take the field and, and for 60 minutes, just let it all, let it all hang out. Brom on his message to his team this week heading into the Iowa game. I think this is a game uh, that uh, really, if we can find a way to win it, it changes the whole course of the season. So I think we got to understand that once again, our backs are truly against the wall. Uh, and if we want to advance, you have to win. And uh, even though there may not be a lot of people out there that think that can be done. We have to internally think it can be done. We've got to approach it that way, and we've got to come out and swing and uh, be aggressive in everything we do and, and, and go for it. And I think that's the mentality we have to have. If, if certain things happen, um, well, then it's all good. But uh, you know, the last thing I want to do is not um, make sure that we're going all out to try to win this game. I, th I think our guys, you know, we've got to find a way to start faster. Uh, that's been a problem lately. Uh, we've got to find a way to build a lead or, or come out and, and create some points early on. And that may, that may help not only our confidence, but help the momentum of the game. So easier said than done, but that's got to be our goal. And Baum on the two different Iowa teams, the one that trounced Ohio State versus the one that got manhandled by Wisconsin. I'm sure they'll respond uh, without question. They're good at home on their home field. That's where they, they, they make a living and they win a lot of big football games. It's tough to go in there and win. You know, against Ohio State, they were opportunistic. They got turnovers uh, and they made plays on offense. Uh, I guess Wisconsin, Wisconsin's defense shut them down. I mean, you know, they had no points on offense and, and hardly any yards. Uh, so, you know, 
I think they're built around toughness. They're built around solid defense. They're built around running the football, and and that's what they like to 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 hang their hat on. And uh, it'll be a challenge for us. Where you know it, it's important against teams like this to figure out a way to get a lead. Uh, maybe make them do some things they're not used to doing, uh, and that'll be the challenge. Is if can can we find a way to do that? I think if we play their type of ball game, um, you know, it may be a long day. Iowa was just trying to fall on it. All of a sudden, it scooted out, and Jacobs ran with it. Well, the ball was snapped before Stanley was ready. He was pointing out protections, and the ball is just squirting around. Nobody is recovering it. And finally, as it squirts out the back end, Leon Jacobs picks it up and takes it to the end zone. A strange game just got even stranger right there. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. Do you want to learn more about kicking and punting? It's hard to find quality training for place kicking and punting, especially with a coach who will give you full attention and who cares about your growth as a person as well as a kicker. That's why Kaluzi Kicking is here. Kaluzi Kicking strives to bring out the very best in every student athlete by utilizing hands-on training, video analysis, and athlete marketing. Kaluzi Kicking is a family-oriented company and believes in working hard to help achieve your goals. The Kaluzi Kicking team will provide you the resources you need to perfect every aspect of the kicking game as you aspire to play at the next level. You can find out more information at kaluzikicking.com. Or you can email us, info at kaluzikicking.com. Time now for our Reporter's Notebook segment this week with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve looks back at the loss at Wisconsin and previews this Saturday's Purdue game, discussing Iowa's punch list for success at Kinnick Stadium. Steve will talk Iowa-Purdue this week, but before we do that, let's just take one quick look back at the debacle in Madison. Iowa mauled by the Badgers, the worst offensive performance in the Ferentz era, production-wise, and the worst since 1944. It was a long, cold afternoon in Madison in more ways than one, certainly in the, on the field and in the press box, too. But, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was a tough game all the way around for Iowa. The, uh, you know, the physical nature of, uh, of Wisconsin was not unexpected. I think probably the level of, of their dominance over, over Iowa from a physical standpoint was a little surprising. But you can also see why Wisconsin's a you know now a ten and old football team. Uh, they they uh, took control early. Uh, the Iowa defense hung around. I thought uh, you know gave, gave the Hawkeyes a bit of a chance, but the offense just simply never got on track. Josh Jackson had more points and yards in the entire offense combined. Another spectacular game by him. Yeah, if, if there's a bright spot, that's it. Uh, you know, I, Josh continues to to do amazing things, and you know five picks in two games, and and uh, returning two for. For touchdowns last week, uh, uh, you know, it, it certainly took a little of of, uh, of the pain out of that loss uh, <laughs> for for Iowa, but it certainly you know didn't uh, you know diminish the uh, the results at the end of the day. But uh, it, it was a uh, you know for Josh, it, it was a another terrific performance by by a, a young man who's who's had a, a bunch of them lately, and and he's going to have a decision to make at the end of the season, and he acknowledged that uh, Tuesday when we had the chance to talk with him and and uh, he won't put much thought into it until the season is over but uh, he is on track to graduate in may he said so uh, that may factor into things as well i joked earlier this week with somebody that you might have to get desmond king's mom to talk to him about whether he should stay or go she certainly had uh, quite the sway with with desmond and uh, yeah that wouldn't be a bad uh, that wouldn't be a bad way to approach it i think one thing that's probably going to loom large in in terms of his decision making is what happened to king in his senior year he had the spectacular junior year and senior year they threw away from him uh, he didn't have a, a great uh, I think it was a senior bowl performance and and it cost him big time in the NFL draft yeah certainly I, the one thing that Josh has going for him maybe that Desmond doesn't is he's got about another three inches 
on, on Desmond. Um, the NFL people tend to get caught up in, in some of that stuff. And, you know, I think, I think uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, I think Josh is going to have to make the best decision for Josh. Uh, you know, and certainly, you know, Desmond is a recent example of what can happen. Uh, it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes kids can work their way up with, with what they do uh, in one final season. But, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, he's going to have that out there. And uh, he's going to hear from some folks who, who will believe that that uh, would be in his best interest. And he will probably hear some folks on some, some folks on the other side of the equation as well. And, uh, you know, ultimately, it comes down to what he wants to do, what his... Uh what his situation is and you know some of that gets into you know uh, family and and you know his conversations with them and and kind of where they're at and and uh, you know he said he enjoys Iowa City he likes being around but uh, the last time I looked there weren't walls around the edges of Iowa City uh, you know you're you're allowed to come back and visit as Desmond did here a couple of weeks ago so uh, it, it's uh, it's going to be one of those off-season storylines that we're all going to have to follow. So the bottom line we don't know whether he's playing his last game at Kinnick stadium on saturday but we do know 18 seniors are that group includes some big stars and some guys who really have seen little if any playing time but have made valuable contributions to the hawkeyes yeah you know and it, it, that's always part of this this day it's always a very emotional time for players uh, a lot of reflecting and, and you know remembering what it was like when they showed up there as freshmen and mom and dad dropped them off out at the front door and and you know left them with their bags sent them into the dorms and uh you know now it's it's uh you know Five years later, some of them have, uh, you know, uh, guys who came in with uh, as very heralded recruits, maybe have labored a little bit at times, and, and guys who showed up to, as walk-ons just looking for an opportunity. You know, the Bo Bowers of the world, uh, you know, have emerged as starters and, you know, uh, have had very productive careers at the college level. And, you know, everybody's story is a little different. Uh, they're all a little unique, and, uh, you know, they're all filled with memories that uh, will last these guys a lifetime. Let's turn to the Iowa-Purdue game. The Boilers come into this contest having lost four of their last five games, but they've all been very close. They're playing a lot better football than they have in the recent past. It's all under the new head coach, Jeff Brom, who came over from Western Kentucky. So let's look at the punch list for Iowa's offense to have success against Purdue's defense. And, and that is the biggest area of improvement for Purdue is their defense. They're actually fourth in the Big Ten in scoring defense. That's one notch better than the Hawkeyes. Yeah, the one the one thing that jumps off their, their sheet this week is, is the fact that they haven't allowed more than two touchdowns to any team that they've played in the last six games. Uh, this is a team that's been playing everybody close. They played Matt, uh, Wisconsin to a 17-9 to game in Madison uh, early on. Uh, they've been kind of hanging around folks, and a lot of that has to do with defense, and, and, and there's some maturity there. There's also a lot some transfers there that have made a big difference. And you know, One of the things that Jeff Brown did when he came in from Western Kentucky was he, he studied Purdue's personnel. He went out and, and brought in some junior college kids. He brought in a you know a handful five or six graduate transfers. Brought in a couple of kids who transferred in from Western Kentucky who are very familiar with this system. They've had a lot of those kind of things going on, and it really has seemingly kind of energized and, and reinvigorated a Purdue program that uh, had really kind of ground to a halt, especially on the defensive side of the last couple of seasons. One of the interesting stats here that jumped out at me is the fact that in their last four road games, Purdue's allowed just 14.3 points per game to their opponent. 16 total points in the second half. You mentioned that. They've only allowed six touchdowns, and three of those came in the first quarter. They've only given up three points in the fourth quarter. However, Iowa's most productive quarter of football offensively pretty much all season long has been the fourth quarter, where they've outscored opponents 93-54 to in the fourth quarter in overtime. So something's going to have to give in that regard between those two contrasting stats. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it will, uh, you know, it will be an interesting uh, situation, I think, for for Iowa. You know, the, the key for the Hawkeyes all season long, especially here down the stretch, has been just the ability to kind of get off to a decent start offensively. And they've been able to do that. They've been able to put some points up on the board, gain some confidence, and then typically what has been the case all season long, the first and third quarters have been a little wobbly at times. The second and fourth quarters have been fairly productive. Uh, you know, I think that's just a matter of a young quarterback kind of settling in and getting a little more comfortable out there. And, you know, certainly last week was a very uncomfortable week for Nate Stanley on a lot of fronts. But, you know, if he can settle in and get Iowa going both on the ground and through the air, and I think it's going to have to be a combination of both, they can do that. I think that they've got a shot to, to have a pretty, you know, a pretty solid afternoon 
against a Purdue team that's still playing for a bowl opportunity. The other statistic that is critical in this game in terms of Iowa having a chance to win, and uh, the spread is frankly a little bit larger than I expected it to be given what Purdue's been doing recently and Iowa's performance last week in Madison, which was of course preceded by its outstanding performance at Kinnick against Ohio State, was that Purdue has held its last three opponents under 100 yards rushing. Now, since the start of the 2015 season, Iowa's record when they've rushed for less than 100 yards in a game is 0-10. The opposite side of that coin is they're 26-1 when they rush for 100 yards or more. James Butler is now back, and, and you saw how that tandem of Wadley and Butler helped in the Ohio State game with that offensive production. They got completely shut down last week, but but uh, how, how do you think that's going to play out? Both the rushing game for the Hawkeyes and, and the mix of rush pass here with Brian Ferentz's play calling. What's it likely to be Saturday against a Purdue defense that is varied? Sometimes running the 3-4, sometimes a 4-3, and they blitz from all over the place. A little bit like Wisconsin. And they will come after Iowa from a lot of different directions. There is no doubt about that. That has been a constant uh, of Jeff Brown teams since, since his Western Kentucky days. And, you know, when you take a look at at, at that, it, you know, it, it becomes, you know, kind of a cat and mouse kind of deal. But, you know, I was going to have to find a way to move the ball on the ground. Whenever they've been successful this season, they've been able to do that. Now, against Ohio State, we saw that work with the pass, setting up the run. And, and that may be a way that Iowa has to has to handle this matchup as well. Uh, you know, and it comes down to maybe finding ways to get the ball back into the hands of the tight ends a little more frequently than certainly what we saw a week ago when they were limited to one catch. Uh, you know, or, or perhaps, uh, you know, maybe this will be the week that the passing game finally clicks. You know, I, that, that's kind of a long shot, but I think that you've got to have some sort of a balance if, if you want to keep people guessing. You know, Iowa was 0 for 13 in third down conversions in, uh, up at Wisconsin, and, you know, five of those, five of those thir- uh, 13 were 10 yards or more. There were only three of them that were less than five yards. And, you know, they didn't put themselves in very manageable positions on third down. And really, uh, those are the things that kill drives. When you're putting yourself in a position where you've got to make a, a pass play, you know, it just simply plays into the hands of the defense. And, um, you know, Iowa needs to find that mix. They need uh, the strength of, of James Butler, who at times showed a little bit of oomph uh, in the run game. And, and they need some of the quickness of Wadley, uh, which, uh, you know, was rendered fairly ineffective against uh, Wisconsin last week, but uh, uh, they need those two guys, and they need both of them to have a pretty solid day. If they do that, they'll be fine. Coming out of the Ohio State win, I was struck by how well Iowa's offensive line played. Probably its best, cleanest game of the season, especially considering the opposition. Ohio State has a terrific bunch of defensive ends and their entire defensive line, and then just the opposite was the case in Madison, where Stanley was pressured constantly, sacked off and tackles were beat. The tackles jumped with false starts, I think, and as the game went along. How do you explain that difference between those two games? And obviously it's going to be important for the entire line, but especially the two freshman tackles to have a good game Saturday. Yeah, you know, I, I think Iowa was impacted a little more by the 3-4 front that Wisconsin threw at them than maybe we anticipated they might be. Um, you know, and some of that has to do with inexperience. So those two freshman tackles, uh, you know, they, they've played like freshmen. I mean, they've been up and they've been down, and you know there hasn't been great consistency from one week to the next, or even within games, which is to be expected. You know, they they were physically uh, overwhelmed a little bit, I thought, last week. Uh, you know, it, it certainly is something that they will probably benefit from in the long term, provide some great lessons then or, uh, from that perspective. But certainly, you know, in the short term, it, it was a stinging loss, and I'm sure something that neither of those guys uh, was real comfortable in dealing with. But uh, you know, it, it's something that not how Iowa has to grow from. They have to have some cohesion up front. If it's not there, we've seen what happens when it's not there. We saw it at Michigan State. We saw it again last week. Um, you know, there have been games where, um, you know, Northwestern, another example, where there, things just haven't clicked. And, and and when that's been the case, it's been a struggle for Iowa. And, you know, some of that, they just have to play through it. Uh, the more experience those guys
guys have, the better off Iowa will be in the long run, and the better off they'll be and the more consistent they'll be. But right now, there's some growing pains, and that's what we saw last week. You mentioned it a couple of minutes ago, the lack of productivity from the tight ends at Madison versus against Ohio State, where they were extremely productive. And on the season, Noah Fant and, and TJ Hawkinson in particular have been very, very good. But if, if the entire receiving core, wideouts and tight ends alike, had bad case of the dropsy at Madison, and they didn't at Kinnick when they played the Buckeyes. Yeah, you know, and, and again, it's been kind of a hit and miss thing for Iowa. And, uh, you know, some of that, uh, uh, Stanley throws a hard ball. I mean, there, there's, there's you know, no doubt about that. And, and, you know, they've had a season now for the most part, the 10 games in to kind of adjust to it. But, uh, you know, on a cold day, it may have been even a little harder than, than some, but uh, to wrap their arms around, but it, it certainly looked that way. Wisconsin didn't really surprise Iowa with anything. They pretty much challenged the tight ends with, with, with single coverage. They were a little more aggressive maybe than, than what Ohio State had been, the way they lined up. But uh, it, it certainly was a, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a disappointing performance. And I, I those guys would be, be uh, you know, the, the first to tell you that as well. Uh, they expected more of themselves and it just didn't happen. Back to the running backs for Iowa just a second. This will be both Akram Wadley's and James Butler's last games at Kinnick. You would have to think that aspect of, of their senior days will want them to maybe give that little bit of extra effort and, and maybe, you know, maybe break out against that Purdue stout rush defense and, uh, and get Iowa over 100 yards on Saturday, which again, as we noted a moment ago, is going to be critical to to winning that game. It, it certainly is a situation where both of those guys should be ready to go. Uh, I think they play off of each other fairly well, whether it be within in a single series or, or rotating series, you know, however the coaches decide to, to kind of map things out. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's enough of a difference between those two guys that they provide the defense with, the, you know, some additional kind of challenges to, to uh, cope with as they face Iowa. And, you know, certainly I think Akram, uh, you know, he, he's still got that thousand yard goal line out there in front of him and you know he's not there yet he, he's got a couple hundred yards yet that uh, he's going to have to cover to get there and uh, you know Purdue is the type of team that um, Iowa had a big day offensively against a year ago certainly a different defense this year but uh, you know I, they at least will go in confidence based on what they saw a year ago and, and the success that they had at, at West Lafayette. Like Iowa Purdue has a some a couple of senior linebackers who are pretty terrific they're led by Juwan Bentley who is their leading tackler with 81 he's got nine and a half tackles for loss, but their entire group of linebackers is pretty productive in terms of their defense. Yeah, Bentley's been there for about 150 years, it seems like. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's one of those guys that's been around forever, and, and, and he plays that way. He was expected to be kind of a leader uh, of this defense, and you know, he, he adjusted very quickly to, to, to what uh, you know Jeff Brom wants out of that defense, and it was a good fit, and, and I think that uh, Brom touched on that a little bit in Chicago during the preseason that he felt that, you know, in Bentley, he had a guy who was uh, very capable of thriving within what they wanted to do defensively. And it certainly has played out that way. I mean, he's forced a couple fumbles. He's, he's you know, intercepted a pass and, and he's got good quickness as well. And, and it's, uh, you know, he's one of those guys and, you know, I think 9.9.5 tackles for a loss. He's, he's going to be a nuisance for people. It's just kind of what he does. And, and uh, you know, I think that that, uh, that probably won't change. And I was certainly going to have to be aware of where he's at. That's your point about graduate transfers. One of their other leading tacklers is uh, T.J. McCollum, and then they've got a graduate at uh, cornerback who's also been very productive for that defense this season. Yeah, it's one of those, uh, you know, one of those things that they've been able to, to to kind of change the culture of that program with 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 the number of guys that he brought in, and I think it was around 14 or 15 guys from from both the graduate transfer and junior college transfer uh, situations that they were able to kind of reinvent themselves, uh, you know, back into the spring, and then they again once fall camp arrived, and um, you know, they it's a it's a situation I think where you know that he knew that they couldn't continue to just play with what they had in house they had to go out and get some help to kind of bridge the gap ultimately I think he wants to you know he wants to be a guy that develops some talent from within um you know he, he mentioned this summer that you know he had a lot of respect for the way that Iowa has been able to do that over time and, and uh you know I, I but I think he's also smart enough to know that uh, the clock is also running and and that there had to be some some kind of quick fix changes and Purdue's benefited from that after this break, Steve talks the punch list for Iowa's defense and special teams, plus some Big Ten. 
Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. We're back with Steve Batterson previewing Iowa-Purdue. Let's look at the punch list for Iowa's defense to succeed against Purdue's offense. Now, Purdue suffered a big loss when it lost its starting quarterback, David Blau, a couple of games ago, a dislocated ankle. He was one of the leaders in the Big Ten and nationally in terms of his pass completion, but their backup quarterback, Elijah Sindelar, has played a lot throughout the whole season, and he he had a pretty solid game against Northwestern last week, too. Yeah, he's a five-game starter, so when he moved back into the lineup last week, it wasn't like that he didn't know what he was getting himself into, so he brought in plenty of experience. Uh, Yeah, he put the ball in the air quite a bit last week, 61 times against Northwestern, and and so Iowa had better be prepared for that type of an attack. Uh, You know, and he completed, uh, you know, 37 of those passes, so I mean, it's one of those things where this kid is, uh, he's got an arm, he's not afraid to use it, and they'll spread uh, spread the ball all over the field. It's been, uh, uh, you know, they were kind of rotating both of those guys uh, anyway uh, at quarterback. So he's been getting experience and, you know, now he's going to be the guy. Uh, their backup this week uh, on the practice field has, has been a, a redshirt freshman by the name of Jared Sparks, who's also one of their better receivers, caught 11 passes at Northwestern last week. So it's one of those things that, uh, you know, that, that you don't want to be in a situation late in the season where you're having to, to kind of reset things. But uh, in this situation, Sindelar has been out there enough that I think the players around him are pretty comfortable with what he's calling. And, uh, you know, they, they gave Northwestern some problems last week. And, you know, Northwestern is kind of on a bit of a roll that uh, uh, they forced them to have to earn that win, as they have done against most of the opponents that they've played this, uh, down this stretch. So, I mean, it, it's uh, it's an interesting deal. But uh, he certainly is, uh, uh, you know, a kid that has some, has some potential and he has some talent. Purdue quarterbacks have thrown 10 interceptions this season. Six of those have been thrown by Sindelar. And to your point about uh, Jared Sparks, there's not very many uh, wide receivers, backup quarterbacks, I don't think, that play in the Big Ten. But they also run him out of the Wildcat formation, and I suspect Iowa Iowa's defenders can expect to see that Saturday as well. I, I would certainly think so. Yeah, I, you know, Kirk alluded to the other day that they they, they tend to have a, a tendency to, to kind of throw a few surprises at you as well from one week to the next. So uh, this is a game where Iowa's defense is going to have to be pretty sharp and, and pretty tuned in on, on to what's going on on the other side of the ball because uh, uh, Purdue likes to engage in a little trickery and uh, and they've been pretty good at it this year. They also throw to a they have a bevy of receivers, both wide receivers and tight ends, and and more than uh, I believe eleven have caught eight or more passes. Their leading receivers caught thirty seven. Yeah. It's, it's a deep group. It was expected to be a, a fairly deep group and a, and a talented group, and, and it, it's kind of played out that way. It's a, um, you know, it's been a deal where they've they've kind of mixed and matched receivers in terms of starters and that type of thing. And you know, they've got uh, you know they've got some guys who are capable of making plays. And, you know, you, you take a look at you know the last couple of weeks. I mean, Jackson Anthrop is 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 a is, a, is another good receiver. Uh, you know, Gregory Phillips is, is a guy that can make some plays as well. You know, they, they've still got some running backs who've been around forever as well. So, you know, it, it's uh, they're going to throw a lot of different bodies at Iowa this week as much as anything. And they're going to see if they can find some mismatches that maybe they can exploit moving into the second half and deeper in the games. And that's kind of been their, their modus operandi this year is find, find something that works and then run with it. They have uh, three running backs that are have, have decent productivity. They're led by D.J. Knox, who's uh, had 70 rushes for 409 yards. But they he only averages... 
average is 40.9 yards per game on the ground. Now, to put that in perspective, Akram Wadley's average is 78.4. They've both played the same number of games. And Butler, who hasn't played as many games, but he's been in six, averages 48.3. So they they seem like they run to keep the defense honest, but they really focus on that passing game. Yeah, and it's really, I think it's probably been the case the last couple of weeks in particular. I think that they've, they've kind of tilted more towards the passer later in the year, and, and I would suspect that's going to continue this week. Uh, you know, they have some, some good backs, as you alluded to. Knox is, is kind of their leader, but, you know, and Markel Jones is a guy that that has been around for a couple of years as well, and Richie Worship has been fairly productive as well for them in the backfield. You know, it's one of those things that uh, it's, it's uh, kind of like a coach who's kind of learning what he's got, and he's learning on the job, and, and you know, I, I think that he's got a lot of pieces here to play with, and, and I think he's trying to get to know them in his first year as well as they kind of build towards the future with what they have today. Yeah, they've actually run the ball 335 times this season and passed 371, so given their focus on the passing game, now they're going to go up against Josh Jackson, and I don't understand why the last two or three weeks opposing offenses keep throwing the ball at Jackson, but they do, and he keeps picking it off and doing things with it. Yeah, he's been, um, you know, a thorn in the side of a, of a lot of offensive coordinators here. And, you know, I, I don't know if, if it's a situation where they just feel like, he, you know, he's a first-year guy and, you know, can he do what he did last week again? Well, the answer right now is, yeah, he has. And, he, you know, he's done it again and again. And it, it's been a little surprising. And I think Josh has been a little surprised by that. But I, I think he welcomes it. Uh, you know, in talking with some of his teammates after the, the game in Madison, you know, he's such a in-depth uh, preparer. I mean, he spent so much time preparing himself for, for what he's going to be seeing or what he feels like he might have a chance to see that, uh, you know, he's got a pretty good handle on what's coming at him. And, and he's shown game after game that, uh, you know, that he's ready to, to at least make a, an attempt or a play on, on what's coming his way. And, um, you know, I would I would expect at some point somebody's going to try to maybe pitch it the other way uh, a little more frequently, you know, especially with Manny Ragumba not at full strength. And, uh, you know, and Michael uh, Ojumadia is, is is a first-year guy back there as well. And, and uh, you know, those guys have been targeted too at times. But, uh, yeah, it, it seems like uh, Jackson's been kind of the, the guy that everybody is, is aiming at. And, and the kid just steps up and, and is having a terrific year making plays and, and making people look kind of foolish. Purdue's offense typically will come out with three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back. Now, Kirk mentioned Tuesday at his press conference that it's likely or it sounded likely that Imani Hooker will not be able to play yet this week after that injury in the Ohio State game. In the games he started, him at safety and Jackson at, at defensive back have really shored up. Iowa's defensive secondary more than showed it up. It's become a, a position of strength. Now you have former starter Miles Taylor back in there who's not probably not uh, as good as Hooker. And against that three, those three wide receiver sets that you know could pose some problems for the Hawkeyes. It certainly will be another challenge for the secondary. Yeah, Miles is, is uh, you know, he's a guy who gives you a pretty good effort. Success rate is not necessarily, uh, um, you know, what you have seen out of other guys, and that's and that's the reason that, that a change was made at that position, you know, earlier in in the season. And uh, you know, certainly, I, I think that uh, with with uh, Hooker out and with Snyder out, uh, you know, that's a part of the Iowa defense that is, has uh, you know kind of been under that constant churn. You know, it will be. I think it probably has been and will continue to be. And, you know, I was going to need Miles Taylor to, to play like a senior. And it was a nice luxury to have last week that when Hooker, you know, went out with a, what Kirk has said is an East brain to uh, to be able to put a guy out there who started 30 games. You know, a lot of programs wouldn't have that kind of experience uh, in, in a backup role. But to, to his credit, Taylor has stayed very involved. He's been, uh, you know, continuing to kind of push Hooker and to kind of, you know, try to fight his way back into the rotation on a more regular basis. And, you know, that, that's a credit to the kids' uh, uh, stick-to-it events and, uh, you know, just his experience to, uh, to uh, you know, 
know, want to be an important part of this football team. And, uh, you know, from one way to another, you know, from one reason to another, uh, you know, he's back out there now and, and uh, you know, trying to be an effective part of Iowa's defense. We talked about how improved Purdue's defense is, but they only have 16 sacks on the year. Iowa's defense, on the other hand, has 22. Uh, Anthony Nelson continues to lead the team with six sacks. But let's talk about the group of three senior linebackers for Iowa, and particularly Josie Jewell. You really run out of superlatives when, when you're talking about Jewell, who's a Big Ten leader in total tackles and tackles per game near the top of the nation and in both of those categories as well, a leader on and off the field for this team. Name this week is a finalist for the uh, Nagurski uh, Award. Is is one of the five uh, five finalists uh, for the uh, top defender in the country. He's in an elite class. Uh, you know, he, he's 11 tackles away from uh, surpassing Chad Greenway and in, in fifth on Iowa's career tackle charts. He's you know uh, there isn't much he hasn't done. And uh, you know the fact that when you factor into it that you know he, he missed one game this year and uh, missed uh, most of the opener a year ago after the after a targeting call you know I, this kid has has had three really good seasons he's uh, uh, just a handful of tackles away from from joining I believe it's Abdul Hodge and, uh, and Larry Station as, as the only defenders in Iowa history to have 115 or more tackles in three straight seasons and uh, that speaks to where this kid is and, and where he belongs in in uh, you know, in Iowa history or Iowa lore, I mean, you know, the final chapter will be written a little later on, but, uh, you know, he certainly belongs in that conversation. Let's turn to special teams here before we talk a little bit of Big Ten and then and get your predictions. Iowa kind of has opposite sides of the same coin with its kicking game going. You've got Miguel Racinos, who on kickoffs and, and place kicking has been really solid and a strength for the team. It's really helped with field position. On the other hand, you've had an extreme inconsistent punting game and uh, Colton Rastatter handled all the punts last week at Madison uh, after sharing those duties with true freshman Ryan Gersandi the previous couple of games. Field position was a major issue for Iowa's special teams in terms of the punts and punt receiving last week. It really put them in the hole uh, multiple times in Madison and Purdue comes into this game with one of the better punters in the Big Ten. He's averaging 41.4 yards. Joe Shopper. He's had 13 that have gone more than 50 yards, 20 downed inside the 20, 59% fair catch. Purdue punters typically get a lot of work, and <laughs> uh, you know that's just been the way it's been, and and uh, over the past couple of years. And, and you're right, they've got a great punter, and and he he is very capable of, capable of doing the things that you want a good punter to do. Uh, putting that ball inside the 20 so important, and you know we saw that last week in Madison on, on both ends of the field. Wisconsin's punter uh, Anthony Lottie, I believe his name was, uh, you know, came in with very pedestrian stats. Well, he you know he launched a 58-yarder and a 62-yarder that, that simply dumped Iowa in just horrible field position, and they were never able to recover. Uh, now, some of that had to do with the lack of success that Iowa's had in, in the punt return game. Uh, you know, Matt Vandenberg was back last week and let a couple of balls kind of skip past him. Kirk hinted it Tuesday that, that he hadn't maybe practiced a few days last week leading up to that, and, uh, you know, it certainly showed. Uh, uh, you know, an extra 15 or 20 yards there uh, you know, it, probably at the end of the day, was it going to make a huge difference? But it certainly put Left Island in an extremely bad position a couple of times. Just um, you know, and, and on the flip side of that, you know, when you're when you're uncorking a 28-yarder to, to set Wisconsin up at midfield, you're creating the short field that. Uh, that they need and uh, and want and and certainly it worked for them and um and, you know it allowed to kind of change the complexion of that game again we've seen that a couple times this year where you know the the, the kicking game or punting game has has made a world of difference and um it, it's something that I was just going to have to live with until these guys get a little more experience and gain a little consistency because it hasn't been there this season which takes me back to the comment the, or the discussion that some of us have had the last couple of weeks is why'd you burn the red shirt on Gersandi if you're not going to 
to let him get in there and, and punt. It's a little puzzling. And frankly, disappointed in, in Vandenberg. I mean, you've got a senior there who's been decent at fielding punts, and certainly there haven't been, knock on wood when I say this for the Hawkeyes, there haven't been turnovers on punt receiving this season, and Vandenberg's been good at that. But bad judgments on the distance the punt was going, they were not just a little bad, they were really bad. In both situations, it costs Iowa 15 to 20 yards of field position. And, you know, in a game that at least on paper looked like it was going to be fairly competitive, that's huge. And uh, it certainly didn't do Iowa any favors. And, you know, I, if, uh, you know the sky certainly wasn't an issue. Uh, it just simply, you know, they, they were missed opportunities to, to simply field a, a punt. And for whatever reason, uh, it happened. Um, and Iowa never really recovered. And it sounds like the weather's going to be dicey at best on Saturday, windy, blustery, cold. So, you know, the kicking part of that game uh, will be critical, as will turnovers. Uh, Purdue's uh, had six takeaways, three picks, and three fumble recoveries in their four road games already. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's November, and uh, the, the elements become an issue down the stretch in the Big Ten. That's been a, a constant over time, and, and certainly Iowa can't afford to give the ball away or, or give yards away um, as they did a week ago. It, you know, if they hope to be successful, and you know, Purdue has proven capable of taking advantage of that, as, as have the Hawkeyes at times too. And mistakes will, will prove costly for for either of these two teams. Let's talk Big Ten for a couple of minutes. Last week, some interesting results. Minnesota just manhandling Nebraska. That was kind of a wowzer. Uh, Northwestern hung on to beat Purdue, helped in part by a punt return, and then Ohio State just obliterated Michigan State. Yeah, Ohio State certainly, uh, you know, on the bounce back. After uh, after their unexpected loss at Iowa, uh, you know, came back and, and took out its frustrations on, you know, on, a, on a Michigan State team that had been playing some pretty good football. You're right, Minnesota, uh, and and the way that they, you know, just ran all over Nebraska, got people angrier than they ever were, even going into that game at, at Bob Diaco and the, and the job his defense has or hasn't done this year. And you know, the Gophers had over 400 yards in rushing uh, against the Cornhuskers, which which uh, may provide a hint of, of things to uh, to come for next week's game plan, but uh, for Iowa, but you know, I I think that uh, in what we're seeing is is a Minnesota team that uh, you know has some interesting skill parts to it. The a quarterback who's kind of adjusting to to a starting situation, and, and certainly last week he looked comfortable running the football, and that was his rep coming in. So uh, you know, I I think that uh, you know they're a team that you know they need a, a couple of wins here. Uh, to make themselves bowl eligible. You're getting to that point of the season where sometimes desperate teams do desperate things, and uh, you know that's why you're you know you're always a little leery of, of a game against the Purdue team that uh, um, you know is capable but needs some uh, needs some things to work out for them. And it's kind of the same situation that they were in in 2012 when they came to Kinnick and and, and won. And uh, it's um, you know the type of thing that uh, I will need to be wary of as well. Wisconsin clinched a share of the West title and. The- Birth in the Big Ten football championship with its game with its win over Iowa last week. East Division is still up in the air a little bit. Ohio State's now got a one-game lead over Michigan and Michigan State and Penn State. This weekend you have Nebraska, which Nebraska is only four and six. Okay, they need to def- they play at Penn State and then they host Iowa on Black Friday. They need to win both of those games to become bowl eligible. And then you have a very intriguing game, Michigan and at Wisconsin and Minnesota at Northwestern, especially with, uh, you know, Northwestern's on a roll, but the the Gophers coming off of that big win over Nebraska. Yeah, um, you know, Minnesota sitting 5-5 five and five right now. They've got to find a way to win one of, one of their last two. You know, they've got Northwestern this week, and then they host Wisconsin next week. You've got Wisconsin hosting a Michigan team that, uh, um, you know, still has some hopes out east, and, and uh, but they're going to have to get past Wisconsin. And then Ohio then next week. You know, it's Ohio State, Michigan week. It's, it's that time of the year where, where games have a lot of meaning. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, this, 
you know, the Michigan-Wisconsin matchup is, is an interesting one. I mean, uh, Wisconsin certainly uh, last week showed Iowa what it's capable of. Uh, Michigan has been playing a little better. Things, I think, have kind of settled down a little bit offensively there. Uh, they've kind of figured out a little bit of who they are and what they're about. And, uh, you know, I think that'll be a fairly interesting game in Madison. And, and yeah, the game at, at Northwestern against Minnesota, the Wildcats have won five straight, uh, albeit three of them were in overtime. But, uh, you know, they are the hottest team in the Big Ten right now. They've won their last five, and, you know, and with a game at Illinois looming next week, if they can get past Minnesota, they're going to finish the season at 9-3, and three, which for a team that was 0-2 in the Big Ten, that's, that's a pretty good accomplishment. And, um, you know, they haven't looked particularly good in a lot of their wins, but they've, they've found ways to win, and, and some teams just do that. And, and uh, you know, they've been very good at that this year. If they can get through this week uh, against the Minnesota team that is, you know, fairly hot. So it, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how all these things play out. Okay, back to Iowa hosting Purdue. It's an important game for Purdue, certainly, but it's really an important game for Iowa to establish, reestablish some kind of offensive consistency and be on a bit of a role going into the Nebraska game and, and to the bowl slotting. So what's your prediction? I, I think Iowa bounces back. I, I think, you know, not unlike Ohio State last week, I, I think that uh, um, I think Iowa left Madison somewhat angry, somewhat embarrassed. Uh, you know, still a very young football team, uh, but still a very capable football team. They showed what they're capable of against Ohio State two weeks ago. The follow-up wasn't very good. It, uh, one of the things that Kirk touched on, on on Tuesday was, you know, the challenge for this group now is, is to find some consistency. Um, and that's been kind of a season-long challenge for this bunch. And, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with inexperienced and young guys in critical positions and that type of thing. But, uh, you know, I, I think I was going to get its run game back on track this week, I think, uh, you know, those up and down offensive linemen, I think, will probably be back up again. Uh, Purdue will be around. I think they're going to hang in the game. I, I could see this, uh, you know, coming down to, to a touchdown or less. It wouldn't stun me whatsoever, uh, especially given the chance for the elements to be, you know, a little on the on the November side of things. And, you know, I, I, it's the type of game that I think that I will probably come away with a win. I think it'll probably be, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of about a 24 to 17 tech game. Hey! Is this heaven? No. It's Iowa. Their run game is solid and their defense is outstanding. Consistent. So consistent. 11 straight they have won. Defense was awesome. Held Iowa to 66 total yards. And the fumble return touchdown thanks to Leon Jacobs and Jonathan Taylor. The freshman Heisman candidate ran for 157 yards. Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Our thanks again to ABC for the game highlights this week. Thanks, as always, to Steve Batterson. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 11 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.